Hi everybody, it's Matt Siddell. I'm joined today by Richard Little from Your Land Partner. I'm gonna be asking Richard how this crisis compares to others he's seen over a 42 year career in property development and house building. I'm also gonna be asking what he's buying and how he's buying it. And I'm gonna ask him what the solutions are to this crisis and where the opportunities are coming from. Welcome to the show, Richard. Hi Matt. So you've got about 40 years experience in the business, developing property and building houses. So you've been through one or two of these cycles before, haven't you? Yeah, I think we've, we've been through sort of um, seven full and half cycles, if you like. And there's lots of different definitions on that. But yeah, we've been we've seen some dips. OK, but the big ones are obviously uh, Black Wednesday at the end of the 80s, the credit crunch at the end of the noughties. How do you think this compares to those? Um, I, I think at the moment um, there's, there's, there are big differences. The, the biggest difference is, is the, 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 the liquidity in the market. Um, but other than that, I, I think there's a lot of similarities. Um, you know, there's a lot of commentary around at the moment on, on digging down into the economics behind everything. But actually, when we look at what was on the ground in the, in the late 80s and the noughties and the, the subsequent years, uh, I think we're going to get very similar pattern. I don't know if that's exactly true, because this is a healthcare issue with economic implications, where the other ones were economic disasters with implications of their own. So I think there's a, there are similarities, but I also think there's a bit of a difference, don't you? There is a difference. And, and the other difference that you, you're not talking about there is, is, is before in the, in the uh, late noughties, it was a global financial uh, issue, but actually it wasn't fully global. This is fully global pretty much as, as global. So what we don't understand yet are what the ripples of the impacts are going to be from around the world. So that's why I'm saying they're actually, my, my issue is that it, it's probably going to be a little bit deeper than, than most commentators are currently saying that, that they're expecting it. I'll tell, I tell you the one I've noticed as well is, um, I wish I had the exact facts now, but uh, Australia managed to avoid the credit crunches. They, they weren't really badly waxed. And it looks like they've managed to ring fence themselves and tuck themselves away from, from coronavirus as well. But America's getting whacked, Germany's getting whacked, Italy's obviously suffering, and, and the UK's going to suffer as well. How do you think all this is going to affect the property market? Yeah, my view is, I guess rather than, rather than my, my view initially, it's what we're planning for. So my, my mantra at the moment is prepare for the worst and, and yeah, fingers crossed for the best. Um, so we're, we're preparing doing sensitivity on everything up to 20% full. Um, now, whether it'll be that much, but it's how long it lasts. So, you know, uh, the, I know some of the latest numbers out that, you know, Savile's Night Frank and all that, they're sort of looking at a, perhaps a 3 or 4% dip this year. Is that what they're saying? That sounds yeah, really optimistic to me. Absolutely not. And, 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 and if we're going to compare it to the sort of two recessions that we're, we're speaking about, is they, they were quite confident before those as well and during those, and, and they didn't quite pan out. So I don't take much notice of the, of the commentary. Um, yeah, and there's some sayings like 95% all statistics are completely made up, like that one just then. And also, I don't know if you ever watched Casper Berry's YouTube uh, video at QTV that's on our channel. He, he's got a really good piece about how this guy studied all these people that are always making predictions and actually statistically over time, they were never any better off than someone who's just guessing. Yeah, I, I'd go along with that because for the large part of the 40 odd years we've been doing this, we've been guessing. <laughs> and, and sometimes we guess right and sometimes we guess wrong and, and funnily enough, when we guess right, we did okay. And when we guess wrong, oh dear, it didn't go so well. If we were listening to 
um, uh, our, our experts, if you like, that we would seem to see a lot more of now. Um, I, I suspect we wouldn't have been any better off, don't know, but uh, I, I, I can't imagine we'd have been any better off. So come on then, Richard, cough it up. There must be opportunities out there. Are you looking to buy? And if so, what are you looking to buy and why? Okay, yeah. So, yeah, we're certainly in the market. Uh, we're not looking to conclude anything right this minute, but we're certainly in, in, in negotiation stage. Um, so we're, we're primarily looking for new build sites, 40, 50 units above, um, pretty much across the country, to be fair. Um, and yeah, it, it, for us, it's, 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 we, we know we know where we know where the opportunities are in respect of the type of market we're looking for. So we're not looking for high end development. We're looking for what we would call sort of I don't know vanilla boxes to an extent. We might the architects will probably uh, moan at that, but the, they'll put their spin on it. But family houses, so both in the socially affordable uh, sector and also locally affordable that we can afford to hang on to. I just want to ask you one specific question about uh, land prices. Uh, for any developer who understands the residual value of land, or for the benefit of those who don't, when you work out the value of land, you take the value of the houses you're going to build, you knock off the profit, you knock off the cost of the funding, you knock off the cost of the professional fees and the cost of actually building them and the purchase transaction costs of buying the land. And what you're left with is the residual value of the land. Now, surely when house prices drop 10%, the value of that land just gets absolutely crushed. Yeah, in, in some some areas, that it, it wipes out the land value anyway. So we, we've got uh, land interests in different areas where the land value is from anything from probably 10% of the, uh, the GDV or what would have been the GDV to nothing above 20% anywhere. Yeah, I know the guys in London who flip planning game, they can get as much as 43, 45% of GDV, I think, which is... Sounds very high. high value areas, that's true, but we, we, we tend to steer away from real high value areas because it, it presents a lot more risk. So if I really wanted to annoy you, I'd say that it's a third, a third, a third. I don't annoy me anymore, Matt, because I, 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 I can actually prove that sometimes it is a third, a third, a third. Well, of course it will be. It's bound to be somewhere between Mayfair and Newcastle. No offence to anyone in Newcastle. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's, it always causes a lot of laughter, but yeah, it's not third, third, third anymore, other than those those areas that you might have said about, but yeah. Now, of course, I don't want to be the voice of doom and gloom, um, but has it actually occurred to anybody that if this situation was compounded with something else going wrong, I don't want to put the kids to death on it, like touch wood, this is as bad as it gets, but you know, what if something else went wrong on top of this? We never saw this coming. Uh, like some some people might say I saw it coming in December or January or what have you, but no one saw it coming in November because it wasn't around. But what if something else went wrong as well? Then we'd be really. So, so, well, if you if you go if you go back a step, this is something happening on top of something else that was already happening in terms of Brexit. Um, oh, we've all so, forgotten about Brexit. I haven't talked yeah, about that for a long time. Guess, guess what, guys? Again, yeah, don't forget about it because this is that is going to compound this or this is going to compound that. Um, and you're quite right, you know, always expect the unexpected, I suppose. Uh, I think our view is that if anything else happens on top of um, Brexit and, and COVID, then, hey, you know, uh, whatever. I'll see it down the pub, yeah. except the pub's going to be shut. Um, yeah, I haven't been that heavily involved in doing deals for the last couple of years, and there's a reason for that. I've had a reminder coming up on my computer every three months that said, expect a big correction in 2019. And um, it's only a few months late, 
but it was waiting for a trigger. We've had a trigger. We've had a hell of a trigger. Um, but I am gear. I'm sort of positioning myself to go out and start investing and doing some deals again, maybe in a couple of months' time. Because how long do you think this is going to take to come through the wash? Uh, I, I suspect at the moment that, that we're already seeing after what, four or five weeks um, of, of people are starting to, to, to um, step back and think of things a little bit more rationally. Uh, and most people that I know that I respect are actually pretty much paused most things other than reaching out, starting opening up the doors of communication. Because uh, one of the things that we, we, we sort of look at is um, we're, we're in the boom times, a lot of people make a lot of money. In the um, adjustment periods, the times like now, recessions, etc., and, and, and times of great uncertainty, fewer people make even more money. Yeah, those fewer people are the people that are, yeah are connected in the right way to the right people. They are positioning themselves, and and a little bit like yourself, uh, we are, and a number of other people have not been doing too much over the last two three years because we knew something was coming. We thought it would be in and around Brexit or a correction of some sorts. Um, so, hey, we missed out probably on, on, on the peak prices in some ways, but we also aren't stuck with too much at the moment. So, you know, so all, always, always have an eye on the past because that is the best thing we've got to predict the future. So even though nobody predicted COVID, you should always be ready for a correction. Yeah. So for the benefit of anyone who's not come across you before, do you want to just explain your background a little bit? Uh, yeah, okay, so I'm second generation. Um, with the family have been involved in land planning and development or house building, as we still really call it, um, since the late 50s. Um, I, I've been 43, 44 years now. Um, we took a massive hit in the recession um, post of the late 80s. Massive, big, big, biggest we, we, we could have, well, we're never going to take a bigger one. We might have a bigger one in terms of numbers, but it won't hurt so much. Um, and, and that pretty much impacted what we did from that point forward. So we were much more cautious moving forward from then. Um, so what we, what we principally do now is we collaborate and partner with other people, support other people in their businesses. Um, what, like, like who? Uh, like, uh, like developers who are trying to undertake deals themselves or landowners who want to get the right planning permission or both? the board really so from from the landowners we work with the landowners we do a lot of promotion stuff so uh, planning promotion um so we use our money to to you know bring forward the you know the the, the planning on on their sites and and share a bit of the uplift um we also work with developers on partner projects um we, we do have a little bit of stuff that's on our own but we see the value now in, in collaboration we also work with funders and investors to protect their money so how do you think Getting back to the current crisis and um, trying to, you know, get a grasp on it. How do you think this compares or differentiates itself from from the other two major recessions in the last thirty years? Um, I think one of the big differences, I think, is is the funding. <coughs> we've we've got a lot more people uh, in the market now. <coughs> Excuse me, um, and, and uh, so a lot more diverse um, money. Uh, and we have a lot of naivety in, in the market from the funders end. Um, so they don't know what to do. In the last two recessions that you know, we're speaking about, the, the late 80s and the noughties, um, funding was much more traditional then. Uh, and so there was much more of a big stick attitude from the funders. Uh, and this time, uh, I've already been in, in communication with three funders that, that are quite clearly in trouble, but they aren't obviously going to admit that at this point. 
Um, they're very exposed, so there's an element of from the funders is who's actually funding, so who's underwriting the funds. Lots of people don't realise that they might be borrowing off of ABC and actually the money's coming from XYZ. Well, I, I, I did hear there's been some margin calls as well. So some of these people that developers and the likes of me and you would call lenders to other people, contacts of mine, they're just the deal originators, they're, they're middlemen. And now they're margin calls to, to get some of their funding back to where it came from. And that's putting huge pressure on, on those businesses that are normally they're pumping liquidity into the market. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's where I see the big difference here is, is obviously we've got, you know, a lot of liquidity, low interest rates, etc. So I don't see, and quite right what you said to me before, is I don't really see uh, there is a same pressure from the financial economic side. Um, however, you know, I'm still a little bit cautious about that, but it, it's the where the money comes from and, and the, the turmoil in the market that I see with various lenders, some running for cover, some standing up and being brave. Uh, and some best being uh, just plain noisy at the moment. Uh, and and the, I think that the, the truth of it is right now where we sit is nobody still really knows what to do and nobody's really standing up and saying, right, this is what we're going to do. So everybody else probably should do the same thing. You know, are, are, are we going to, are we going to be uh, reducing the, the interest payments potentially? Are we going to swallow some of the interest payments that might become due? Are we going to, uh, are we going to automatically extend some of the loan periods? You know, are we going to take you into default? We, we've got one developer that had a default notice, I think it's three weeks ago now, on, on a site. The default notice was for, for just under two million. The site and, and one of the conversations with the lender, um, it, it clearly is delusional. Like, you know, it's not me making it up. The site is worth less than a million pounds. And if he if he went to market, it's, it's worth more than one million about a month or so ago, but it's less than a million pounds. If he goes to market now, you know, he's going to lose a lot because we know that we know where some of his funding comes from. So he's going to get pressure from above. Yeah. See, this is the thing, right? And you learned this um, at the end of the 80s and then you, you witnessed again during the global financial crisis. In times like this, the only way to rescue a deal is to put more capital in, to put more equity into the deal. If you, and if, yes. the, if the shareholders can't do that, it's unlikely that anyone else is going to do it. Is that right? Well, yes and no. I mean, we, we've got two two projects that we've been involved with for some time, so pre-pre-pandemic, uh, where the funders, we're looking at the funders putting more money in because to protect their own money. And these are first charge um, uh, holders, you know, So, but they know that that's in jeopardy even more so now. So they the only way to come out with losing less money potentially for them is to put more money in. And so see it through. Likely, yes, but some of the funders, and, and it's interesting really because um, depends where the funders were, how much, how big their loan book is, what percentage they've got out as, as to uh, and understanding what pressure they might be under. So as it, ever, exactly what we like to do is it's communication really. Yeah, the funder could be constrained by the source of their funds and, and the terms of, of their mandate. The, the funders, there's funders out there that people probably would be good to recognise that they're also up for losing their shirt and their homes. Yeah. Uh, people don't really understand that. I don't think they recognise it because it isn't something a funder is going to uh, shout about. But certainly two of the funders we've been talking to in the last three weeks, we're fairly certain that with the debentures that are held over their, over their company assets, uh, I suspect there's some PGs sitting in there as well. They are, they are backs against the wall. Squeaky bum time. I didn't oh, say I'm that. Saying, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so 
What can be learned and what can be applied this time around? Um, I, I guess the, the overriding the overriding lessons is, is the communication. It's actually reaching out. So we, we, we would always position ourselves as what we call a lead developer. So effectively running the whole, the whole show, as it were. Um, and, and in many cases, it's up to us to reach out to the funders to actually give them the support that they need. I know it sort of seems counterintuitive in a sense, uh, but they honestly, a lot of those don't know what to do. So reach out and resell yourself and resell your deal on a number of, of sort of different scenarios. So, you know, everybody that's got stuff, we've, we've traditionally, you know, always been traders, so sold stuff. Now is not the time for selling anything. You know, I mean, we've got a couple of sites on, on a couple of projects on site at the moment, and we're now, you know, we're looking at that. Can we hold it back? Should we hold it back? Should we push forward and get out as 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 clean as we can? You know, so but but you should be looking at refinancing, but that is going to cause problems because yeah, more equity is likely to be required. I see that there's going to be quite a few, I guess we could call them loosely joint ventures between funders and developers in holding property probably for some time before they can liquidate it and, and, and get their money back. And at the minute, for a lot of developers that are unfortunately on site with stuff to sell, it's about getting your money back first and foremost. Making a profit has is, is, is gone out the window. It just has. Yeah, it's protecting your personal guarantees and minimising your losses. Quite different. Yeah, 100%. And, and, and if you're in the unfortunate position that you don't have any assets or anything to offer to bring in, to, to be able to invest in bringing the right support, then, you know, unfortunately, there's not a lot you can do. Um, it, it's great when you're involved in, um, in communities, some of this, you know, some tight knit communities, Candor being the main one from, from our perspective, is that people genuinely let help each other. It's not about a fee. If somebody wants some advice, you know, there's plenty of people within the community that will offer that advice with no expectation. Uh, and and, and that, that is a big difference. Never had that before. So one of the big differences here is there is support where we've never had it before. No, because um, the, the Candor team and I have pushed really, really hard to create this legitimate, tangible current commodity of reciprocity within the network because if you if you're pumping that into the into the network you know it's only a matter of time before you're on the receiving end of it and and it and it pays everyone dividends so um i'm glad you recognize that it's been fortuitous to an extent and the timing and you know you know the club's been going for quite some time and it's you know it's got some traction but now we all need it more than ever before and i think that's you know that's not always seen i know one of the things when times are tough We've got to look after our cash, and we're no different than that. But what we shouldn't stop investing is, is what I would say, because we, we have to continually invest in order to get ourselves out of some of the positions that we're in. Now, you're also involved in Tropolis, which is the training business I've been setting up whilst the whole crisis has been kicking off. I've never been so busy. I've been working 18-hour days, and I'm trying to bring it down because I'm not 25 anymore. I'm not, I'm not even 35, unfortunately. Um, but one thing I'm really drumming into the people that are joining Tropolis, because I want them to be successful, not just in the short term, but on the long term, is ideally you want an unencumbered property somewhere so you can borrow against it when you need to release some equity or an offset mortgage on your home so you can pull out some equity when you really need it. The destination, I tell them, is Handels Bank and funding your portfolio, Close Brothers funding your developments, and an offset mortgage with some equity in it so that you can ride out these storms. But 
why do you think it is that there are always these casualties? Why do you think it's because they're, they're following bad examples? What's the what's the cause of it all? I, I think I, I'm going to put it down to, to one word, which is leverage. Um, I add over to that. I think that's the issue. There's the temptation, and yeah, I mean, we're talking about training and things. You know, they people are quite easily tempted into um, over leveraging their money, over leveraging their time, and and we get a lot of, I guess, what you call project stroke business rescues on our desk, or or or, or you know, pleas for help and stuff like that. Um, and and pretty much most of that comes down to two things. Uh, and one of those is, is, is over leverage, uh, and, and the second one I'll politely call naivety. Um, and, and effectively, that's, that's believing, believing what they want to believe, possibly, um, but believing what they're told and what they're directed to. But whoever they're following, I, I, I'm, not, you know, I'm not talking about any particular training companies. Or, um, we, we get stuff from people that have never had training. You know, they're still naive people because they, they haven't been through the longer somebody's been in the business without going through, you know, a, a recession. So people could have been in the business now seven or eight years and they will feel quite, yeah, I, I've been in the business quite a while. But until they've been through that recession, that blip, whatever downturn, um, then they're naive. They're naive because they haven't experienced it. Yeah. You know, I think you've been on a couple of calls uh, in the last week or two. Were you on a call with Nick Cowell at one point? Yes. I mean, Nick, Nick's been through all this before. And did he look stressed to you? No, he's probably the more relaxed. He's, I think he might have actually said he's, he's feeling as relaxed as possible. You know, and he, yeah, he's been in the business, yeah, 30, 30 odd years. I, 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 I'm fairly certain. No. And, 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 you know, to, to be fair, he's enjoying it. Yes, he's being squeezed like we all are financially. I don't know anybody yet that, that uh, has, has said that, um, that they're not going to be affected financially by this. We know we 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 will be. We just don't know how much, and there's no point counting it because it's, it's gone. You know. Yeah. So uh, and but actually, uh, I, I think uh, it was possibly Nick that said about being more pragmatic about the situation. This is probably a couple of weeks ago, and a lot of people weren't there at that point. But I think they're getting there now, um, and actually taking that overview and 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 that. You know, obviously, for, for some people, there's going to be massive opportunity uh, yeah. coming out of this. Well, I, I noticed that Nick's out doing deals. Cal Group bought, um, I don't know where it was. It looked like it was in Fulham or something. But it was a Starbucks, the whole building. You know, yeah, there's, there are yeah. going to be some good deals to be done. But I don't want to be a hypocrite either. Like, I had a really hard time after the Brexit vote. It was a bit of a shock. It was definitely a shock to me. I remember I woke up in the morning and the first text message I got, I didn't have many investors then. I was using mostly my own cash. But one investor texted me and it just said, all bets are off. I didn't speak to him for three months because he was so busy sorting out a load of other stuff and frankly, so was I. But that pain really fucking stays with you and it's not a pleasant feeling at the time and you never forget it. I, th I think that that's exactly it really, isn't it? It's, it's a case of that, that, that makes you sick in the pit of your stomach. And I can recall how I felt or how I remember feeling, you know, at certain points in the late 80s, early 90s, which was our toughest time. And, and, and the noughties for us, we, we, yeah, we, 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 we lost a bit, but now nah, not much because we're, we're much more, uh, I don't think we're actually more risk averse. We're just more risk aware now. And that's, I think, two different things. Yeah. And it's the other thing as well. Like I've got a couple of friends that manage money in the city. And when I speak to them, if I'm getting some sunshine in the garden, I'm on the phone to them, I'll ask them, how are you doing? How's your, what's your performance like? And they say, yes, yeah, really, really good. I'm like, what do you mean it's really good? Are you up or down? He goes, no, obviously I'm down. I'm just less down than everyone else. 
<laughs> yeah, I think that that's that's actually quite a good way to look at it, isn't it? You know, there is always somebody worse off. I mean, I, you know, I, I do genuinely feel for people that are going to lose their businesses. You know, and, and I'm doubtful there's going to be a lot of casualties. But what I always say to those, those people, whether it's you know through 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 this sort of type of situation uh, or writing or whatever else, is that that you know you can come through it. I won't say you will come through it because some people. They, they just won't, but some people have come through much stronger. i tell you what I think. I think the ones that fail gracefully survive, and the ones that screw everyone over, they have the hardest time coming back, and quite right too. I, I, I actually think that that is another difference now you're saying that. That's another difference that we're going to get this time, you know, uh, in, in so much as we're more aware of other people and other people's actions. There's more sharing as well. And, and again, it's, you know, in the right communities, sharing the stuff that perhaps you're not going to go out on the public platforms, but it will actually be spoken about by those that need to know. It gets around, it gets around. This is the difference. You know, when Black Wednesday kicked off, nearly nobody had mobile phones. The guys that did have mobile phones were like the size of my briefcase down there. But they were very big. Yeah. No, no one had an email address in 1992 or hardly anyone. So it's very different now. We're all connected on, I mean, Christ, if someone says to me, do you want to do a video call? I'm like, yeah, what do you want to do? Do you want to do a Zoom, FaceTime, WhatsApp time, Hangout, Google Hangouts, house party? It's like, we're very, very connected. So, you know, if you're going to screw people over, you might want to think twice about that because it is going to be harder to come back, don't you think? It's going to be, yeah, it is, and that's what I'm saying. Some, some, I, I can't say everybody will come back because that's probably not going to be possible. And, and, and let's be fair, they're not all going to be bad people that go out of business. They no. never are, to be fair. Um, and that's the second part of what I want to say as well. Like, if, if you're a reasonable person and you treat people fairly, you, you can take a big loss and it's not the end. You can come back, you can come back very quickly. I lost a load of money in 2017. Six months later, I started the club. And right in the middle of all this, now that Nat's finished her chemotherapy and everything, got Tropolis up and running. But I wouldn't have been able to do that if I'd screwed over a load of people. And, um, and the reason I get so passionate about it is because I just see other people that they're not doing themselves any favours and they're certainly not doing any favours for the people they're taking advantage of. I guess that's one of the disadvantages of the reach we get now is, is that there is so much noise around and, and unfortunately people get attracted to what they want to hear. So it is easy to, for some people to sell, you know, an idea or business or whatever else. And, and, you know, so there are more people that will also get trapped, you know, there are more, but, but yeah, overall, if, if you do things right, then your reputation is pretty much everything you've got. Um, and it's the, it's probably one of the most valuable being, well, things that you'll take with you when you die. When the when the wheels come off, what you're aiming for, that the, the goal is that the people you're doing business with turn around to you and say, I haven't lost any respect for you. If anything, I've gained some. You've got my full support. Good luck. And and I'll help you any way I can. That's what you want. I think there is. And, 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 and I would say that it is possible to go to investors and funders and say, guess what, guys? We're all going to lose some money here. But if you do that in the right way, not everybody will take it well, but most people will will gain in, in, in their respect for you because it's not about doing stuff well in the good times. It's about how you conduct yourself in the bad times. And that will then prepare you for the next lot of good times. And there will be more good times to come. Yeah, the good times never last and the bad times never last. We're kind of running out of time here, Richard, but how should we leave this? Um, We've got to focus on solutions, right? How do people get through this crisis and how do they prosper 
when we all start, <laughs> when we're all allowed out of the house? Yeah, so I, I think that the, where we sit at the moment, it's a great time for reflection, but it's also a great time for planning moving forward. And we're talking about opportunities, so whatever sector, investor, investment sort of strategy you follow, etc. There's always there's going to be changes. So yeah, people people that are in service accommodation and all that having a tough time. How can you adapt this business to come out the other side? But you have to be honest to sort of say, is this business or what I'm doing, my part of it? worth taking forward or should I cut my losses um, so it's the time to, to uh, I think agile is the word we were talking about in a team meeting the other day we've got to be agile and everybody needs to be agile but you can only be agile if you're prepared yeah I think you hit the nail on the head there as well but also the example you gave with service accommodation I mean I don't know if you've met Toby and Char uh, Charlie and his brother Toby they're down in Bristol got 160 apartments 90% occupancy um, and it's a, it's a rent to rent Airbnb business and sure they're not performing quite as well as they would this time last year but they're surviving because they have been agile and they're focusing on the solutions and also there will be opportunities I think we've just picked up three members of the club today um, and sure some people have had to put their membership on hold because cash flow is a serious issue for them but other people are all etching closer now and they're, they're looking for partners that they can buddy up with um, to, to grow their businesses. I think that that's it. That's what I was sort of referring to previously is is that um, working with the right people, collaborating with the right people is the way forward. And opportunities, there are lots of opportunities uh, that are coming up. Some we know about, some we don't know about yet. Um, but actually, those opportunities are going to be much stronger if you're doing it at scale. Yeah. I think there's been a, a, a big, and I understand why people stay small. And certainly when they come into development, I'm going to try something small before I get big. They are now starting to realise the fragility of small projects. You, you don't have, I'm not talking about larger scaled up where you're over leveraged, but scaled up to the degree where you've got great strength. You know, so if, if we're borrowing 15 million off of one lender, yeah, for instance, if we were, they say if we were, they're now going to listen to us and not probably foreclose on us because they've got too much at risk with us. So they're more likely to talk with us than they are the guys that have got a million pounds who they'll just just they'll just burn them. You know? Yeah. I think there's a saying, isn't there, about whether you owe the bank a little bit or whether you owe the bank a lot, there's, there's a power flow there. Absolutely, and that, that still holds. Yeah. I've totally forgot what the saying is, but anyway. No, I, I can't remember either, but there's been a number over the years, yeah. Richard, we totally run out of time. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and I just want to say thanks for coming on the show. Pleasure, Matt. Speak uh, to you soon. To speak to you again soon. Cheers, pal. Take care.